you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. As we continue in a sermon series tonight entitled, Jesus According to Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, all you have to do is listen to him. and He'll tell you. Tonight we're looking at John 14, verse 6. A verse that is well known to most all of us. But a verse that I want us to contemplate and think on again tonight. Particularly in the day and age in which we live. John 14, verse 6. And Jesus said unto Thomas, Jesus said unto the disciples that were surrounding him, Jesus said to the people of his day, Jesus speaking to you and I tonight in this service, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by me. In one verse, in two sentences, in three simple statements, Jesus exploded a nuclear bomb that day. The blast covered not only his time, but reaches all the way to our time. That statement, or series of statements by Jesus, set off a firestorm. Think about what he said. The simplicity of it, yet the profoundness of it. He said, I am. Remember, I am is an expression that was used to describe God. He says, I am God the way. I am God, the truth. I am God, the life. No man comes to God the Father unless they come through me, God the Son. Wow. With simplicity, with smoothness, with straightforwardness, Jesus buried the religious correctness and the religious pluralism of his day and ours. Jesus, with capsulization and concisement, put to rest the notion that there's many ways to God and there's many ways to heaven. Jesus, with tenderness yet toughness, with silkiness yet with steel, Put to the graveyard the babbling cliches that say there are many ways to God. Pick one and be sincere and everything will be all right. Whatever works for you is true for you, you might say. Jesus buried that. He put the rest that. He put in the graveyard all of that. Ladies and gentlemen, our world and sadly becoming our churches are filled with people today who would say, Jesus, you are wrong. 
Jesus, you're wrong. They would say that Jesus is a hate monger. That he's arrogant, he's bigoted, he's intolerant, he's narrow-minded. You say, Pastor, how do you know they would say that about Jesus? Because they say it about, they say it about you and I who are his children. And if you talk about the children, you'll talk about the parents. In a Barna poll that was taken a few years ago, a poll that was taken of people in general, it could be people of faith, it could be people of little faith, it could be people of no faith. 88% of those people polled in this Barna polling said that all religions are equal. All ways to God are valid. And most people, whichever way they choose, however they choose, they will eventually end up in heaven. 88% of those people out there believe that. Barna also did another poll simultaneous with that one. This poll was for so-called Christians. Men and women who would profess to be Christian, whatever that definition is to them. 60% of these ones who claim to be Christians in a simultaneous polling said something to this effect. While Jesus might be the best way, he's not the only way to God and to heaven. There are multiple choices and options that have the same end result. This is not people that would be unsaved. These are people that would claim to be saved. These are not people who would say we don't believe the Bible. These would be people who say we do believe the Bible. These are not people who do not worship Jesus. These are people who would say we worship Jesus. He's our Savior and Lord. And yet... 88% of them outside of Christianity, 60% within Christianity, once again, whatever that word means, would all say that there are many ways to heaven. There are many ways to know God. And Jesus is just one of many. He might be the best, but he's just one of many. Find you what way you want to go. Be sincere, do your best. And in the end, it'll work all out for, in your favor. Now, both groups, interestingly enough, were asked some follow-up questions concerning their so-called beliefs. And they were asked, why would Jesus say what he said in John 14, 6? Why would Jesus say he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and there's no other way to heaven unless you go through him? Why would he say that if it's not true? It's interesting some of the answers that Barna received on that. Some of them said, well, Jesus was wrong. <laughs> Jesus was just wrong. He was right on most things, but he was wrong on that. 
Others said that Jesus was misquoted. <laughs> the translators didn't hear him correctly. They didn't understand what he was saying. Or maybe in the translation they used the wrong words. He was just misquoted. Still some said, well, he was just giving an opinion. That's just his opinion. It's not, he's not speaking for God, he's just speaking for himself. <sighs> when both groups were asked about all of this, why would, why, would, why would someone believe this then? You know what they said? The only people who would believe that Jesus said what he said and meant what he said is intolerant bigots, fundamentalists like you and me. I want to make you think about something before we look at our text. There's a reason why the Islamic radicals that are very destructive to the world and put to death many people. There's a reason, ladies and gentlemen, they're called Islamic fundamentals. They're called that because what is being taught to people is that fundamentalists are dirty. They're nasty. They're destructive. They put people to death. You see, that's what's being taught. So one day when they decide they want to change from Islamic fundamentalists to Christian fundamentalists, guess what they're going to think about you and I? The enemies of Christianity are very smart. And there's reasons why they use certain words. is because they're conditioning society to come back against us. John 14, if you have your Bibles, let's do some looking. Jesus in John 14 is speaking to the disciples, and he gives them some assurances, some things that they need to know as his time on earth is coming to an end. And I want you to notice in verse 1 of John 14, that Jesus begins by assuring his disciples that he will give peace to them in their times of troubles. He says in verse 1 of John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. That word trouble is an interesting word. It can mean one of two things in the original language. That word trouble can mean a personal upheaval. Something that you are going through that nobody else may be going through at that moment, but it's going on in you. It's going on around you. It's a personal upheaval. Your life is being turned upside down. Your life is being turned inside out. The apple cart of your life is being flipped over. Of your life. That word trouble can also be speaking of a corporate falling apart. Something that's happening not just to you, but to a lot of people. A collective group, a corporate group, 
who are experiencing a world falling apart around them. Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. When you're going through personal upheaval or you're going through corporate falling apart, don't worry. Don't worry. He says, I will give you peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that is unexplainable, but it's undeniable. Peace that gives you calmness and contentment and confidence. When everything around you or around those you love is in chaos. He says, I'll give you peace. He'll give you peace individually. He'll give us all peace as a corporate church. Then he says also another assurance to the disciples that's leading him to what he says in verse 6. In verse 1, he also says, not only will he give peace in our troubles, but he says he is God. How many times must he say this in order for them to get it? He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. If you believe in the invisible God of heaven, believe in me, the visible God of earth. If you believe in the Father, believe in the Son, He's God and I'm God. We together are two persons of a triune God. Wow. I'm going through trouble tonight, Pastor. My life's a personal upheaval. Maybe one day this church is going to go through trouble in a world that's falling apart and a nation that's going down with it. Jesus says, don't you let that worry you. I'll give you my peace. And the peace that I'll give you comes from me. And I am God. And then he goes on and gives a third assurance in verse 2. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. You're living in the land of the dying and the dead. One day... You will leave this world to go to my world, the land of the living. You know, sometimes we think this is the land of the living, and when people die, they go to the land of the dead. We got it backwards. This is the land of the dying. This is the land of the dead. We're headed to the land of the living, where life is full and life is eternal forever and ever and ever and ever. And Jesus reminds the disciples, don't you fret when trouble comes because I am God and I have a place for you and the place is called the Father's house. This, this term, Father's house, is an interesting term. You know, the Bible has many euphemisms for heaven. The Bible says that, or there's a song, I should say, the Bible doesn't necessarily say it like this, but 
there is a song that says that heaven's Beulah land. And Keith sings that beautifully. Beulah land. Some people call heaven the promised land. Some people call it Zion. Some people call it paradise. Heavenbound had a hit song many years ago. They said, Canaan land is just in sight. They were talking about heaven. Some people call heaven glory. Every one of those euphemisms, it has a, a descriptiveness about heaven that's meant to teach us something. And Jesus says, I call heaven my father's house. That's a, that's a family term. It pictures a big mansion. Can you picture a big southern mansion? And inside that mansion, the master lives. The Lord of the manor lives. And in that big mansion with the master and the Lord of the manor is rooms. Rooms for all of his children. Rooms for all of his grandchildren. Rooms for all of his family. Rooms that are personalized. Rooms that are customized. Rooms that are for them and them alone. Though they're with the whole family in the mansion, they have their own special place prepared for them by the Master. And that's what Jesus is saying that heaven is. You know, we, we sometimes think of heaven as each of us will have our own mansion, but that's really not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there's one huge mansion in heaven, the Biltmore House of Glory. <laughs> And the Master, the Lord, lives there. And in this mansion, there is thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions, tens of millions upon tens of millions rooms. And I have a room with my name on it there. And you have a room with your name on it there. And when it's finished being dusted and vacuumed, we're going to it. There is a heaven, Jesus says. Now, so notice in verse 3, he says something else. Now, he's, he's working his way to verse 6. He's a preacher. He's working to his points. He says, I will give you peace in your troubles because I am God. And there is a heaven, and I call it my Father's house, and I'm preparing a place for you to live in that house with me. And then he says in verse 3, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. Douglas MacArthur made a promise to the Filipino nation and to the Filipino people in World War II that he would return. He would come back and he would overthrow the Japanese. And he did. He kept his promise. But one greater than General Douglas MacArthur has made a promise. His name is Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm coming again. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you personally. I'm coming for all of you together. I am coming. I'm coming for you when you taste death. Maybe you will die before the rapture. Maybe I'll die before the rapture. And he says, when you die, when you close your eyes in death, you do not be afraid. Because, yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't fear any evil, for I will be there with you. I won't send an angel for you. 
I'll come for you. That where I am, there you will be. Sometimes when people die, they say, well, I saw an angel coming for me. <laughs> they didn't see no angel. We'll see Jesus. I'd be happy with Gabriel or Michael, but Jesus is coming. So when we die, he will, says, I will come again. I'll come and get you. I'll escort you through the valley of the shadow of death, and you will be with me. Or maybe some of us here tonight will never die. We'll just leave this world by rapture. Our corruption will turn to incorruption. Our mortality will turn to immortality. And the snap of a fingers and the blink of an eye and the clap of a hands, up, up, and away we go. When that happens, we will go to be with him who will be coming for us as well. So whether he comes by death for us or whether he comes by rapture for many of us, he is coming again. You can mark his word. He is coming again. Now all of that leads him to verse 6. And again, I told you when I first started this message, this is a bombshell going off. Because Jesus lived in a society that was pluralistic. A society that believed there's many gods and there's many ways to get to those gods and there's many ways to get to heaven where this God or gods may be. And Jesus steps right into the middle of that and says, you're all wrong. He says, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No other person, no other thing can save your soul and take you to heaven but him. And it's interesting that he doesn't stutter or stammer when he's speaking. There's no equivocation or hesitation. There's no hemming or hawing. There's no confusion or doubt. There's no if, and, or but about it. He says it about as straightforward as you can say it. I am the way to God. There is no other way to God. Absolutely no other way to God. I am the truth. There is no other truth about God. I am the only source of truth that you can trust that's reliable that's factual. And he says, I am the life of God. I am the life of God. If you want to have abundant life and eternal life down here and up there, there's no other person that can give it to you but me. I am the way to God. I'm the truth about God. I'm the life of God. I'm the way to God. Follow me. I'm the truth about God. Believe in me. I'm the life of, of God. Live it through me. That's what he said. That's not what I said. That's not what another preacher said. This is what the Son of the living God said. How in the world can somebody claim to be a Christian and dispute that? Jesus said a lot of things, and some of the things that he said are difficult to understand, and they're complex, 
but this isn't. And all he's doing is stressing something that is said a thousand other places in the Bible. This is not the only time he says this. He says it many other places. What should all of that mean to you and I tonight in closing? If Jesus makes a statement that is so profound, so earth-shaking, what should it mean to you and I? Because our society is no different than his society. It's maybe even worse. When 88% of the people say Jesus was wrong, Jesus was misquoted, When those who claim to be Christians say the same thing. Where are we going? I want to leave four things with you very quickly. That I hope you'll remember as we've looked at this tonight. First thing I want to ask you is, have you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Because all of it doesn't matter unless you have made Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. You've placed your faith in Him and Him alone and you've invited Him by that faith to come into your life and repented of your sins. Have you done that? It's amazing how many people can sit in a church week after week, month after month, year after year, and not know for certain if they die, they're going to heaven. Or they know they're not going to heaven, but they believe that they can do it later, so they just kick the can down the road. An old expression for procrastination. Listen to me, if you're here tonight, and you've not personally, of your own free will, invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and to change you now and forever, to give you a place in the Father's house, you need to do it tonight. Because you're not getting there any other way. I'm a good person. It doesn't matter. I'm an ethical person. It doesn't matter. I'm a church-going person. It doesn't matter. I'm a, a religious person. It doesn't matter. I'm an American. I wave red, white, and blue. It doesn't matter. You can be all of that and die and go to hell. And many people are. Because they've got caught up in everything but the person of Jesus. So I leave to ask you tonight, number one, have you placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ? Is He your Savior and Lord? If you died tonight, would you go to be with Him? Secondly, would you accept what Jesus said tonight and allow it to remove all doubts, all fantasyful thinking, all wishing, out of how you look at people without Him. Would you and I allow what He has said to permeate into our noggins, into our hearts, that we will stop walking around with our feet in the wishing well, 
with our minds in some fantasful cloud, believing that while he said it, there is a loophole somewhere, I'm sure, there's an asterisk somewhere, I'm sure, that excludes my son or my daughter or my mother or my father or my aunt or my uncle or my cousin or my nieces or my nephews. It's time we face the fact that if those people that we love have not asked Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, to be their personal Savior, they are not going to heaven. And we have somehow said we believe this stuff, but we don't believe it when it comes to those that we love because we don't want to think about it. So we make excuses. We cross our fingers. We go to the wishing well. We stick our head in the sand like the ostrich and somehow believe that, yes, Jesus said that, and yes, he meant it, but my loved one will be an exception. No, they won't. But, Pastor, they're good. Pastor, they said a prayer years ago. They haven't lived it, but they said it. You're not saved by a prayer. You're not saved by being good. You're saved by Christ. Thirdly, will you and I take what we have heard tonight again, that we know is true, I hope you know it's true, and will we use it as a motivation to invite people to come to church and maybe invite them to come to Jesus? We've got Easter coming up in two weeks. Why don't we use what Jesus has said to be a motivation to us that in love and with urgency we would ask people to come to church on Easter or any time, but Easter's coming up, that we would ask people not only to come to church, but we would ask them to consider once again the claims of Jesus. How can we know this to be true and just sit on it in church and never do nothing with it? How can we allow people to live in some fantasful world that there's other ways to get to God, there's other ways to get to heaven, and we know better than that, and yet we say nothing? Let's invite people. Let's pick up the pace we believe what Jesus said is true, why would we allow people not to be invited to come to church and to come to Christ? And then lastly, are we willing to stand for this truth if we know it's going to cost us something? Would you and I be willing to stand up and say, I believe this to be true? When 88% of the people out there would say, you're a hate monger. When 60% of those who claim to be Christians would boo us and throw things at us and say, you're just a narrow-minded bigot. 
intolerant? Would we be willing to stand for the truth? Or would we just, like a leopard, camouflage ourselves into the scenery and nobody will hear from us? There comes a time when God's people need to stand up for God's truth. And I hope that you'll be one if that time ever comes. With love. With love. God's people always love. As gentlemen and as ladies, because that's the way we are. We tell a pluralistic world, you're wrong. There's ways which seem right to men, but in the end, they're the ways of death. There's only one way to God, and His name is Jesus. There's only one truth about God, His name is Jesus. There's only one life of God, and His name is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.